It's March 20th, 2006, and you're listening to the NACOcast with Christopher Millard, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. An Italian straw hat, with its large cast of outrageous characters and its breathtakingly flamboyant sets and costumes, tells the tale of a wedding ill-fated by the loss of an Italian straw hat. The ballet is James Kudelka's first venture into a full-scale comedy. Kudelka has been quoted as saying, Farce is a physical form. It shares with dance the need for timing and speed. True to his words... Kudelka's ballet moves at a breathtaking pace. Tony Award-winning designer Santo Loquasto, a frequent Kudelka collaborator, recreates a Belle Epoque Paris with costumes and sets that will dazzle the eye. Almost every character sports a hat. The ballet uses over 65 elaborate designs. From the Eiffel Tower to a hot air balloon ride, Kudelka and Loquasto have created an opulent vision of 19th century Paris an entertaining romp about sex, lies, and the French bourgeoisie. After its Toronto debut last year, one critic wrote, You don't expect to hear laughter at the ballet. Polite chuckles, yes, and if it's a tragedy, some sniffling, but gut-splitting laughter? Here's the story. Ferdinand is getting ready to marry Hélène, the daughter of Nonancourt. On the day of his wedding, Ferdinand stops to give his horse a rest, and the beast promptly eats a rare and expensive Italian straw hat. The hat belongs to Anaïs, the wife of the jealous Beaujolais. She's having an affair with Emile, an army officer. Knowing that the lost hat will be their downfall, Anaïs and Emile demand that Ferdinand replace the hat and they vow to prevent his marriage to Hélène until he does so. And throughout the action, Felix, Ferdinand's servant, and Virginia, Anais's maid, attempt to keep their master and mistress out of trouble, well, at least when they can keep their hands off each other. The music is by one of the foremost composers of our time, Michael Torkey. Gramophone magazine has called Michael Torkey's work some of the most optimistic, joyful, and thoroughly uplifting music to appear in recent years. Michael Torque's music has been called post-minimalism, a music in which eclectic young composers utilize the repetitive structures of the previous generation to incorporate musical techniques from both the classical tradition and the contemporary pop world. The music is very lively and accessible, and, as you will hear in a minute, it has quite a bit of the flavor of Rossini and Mozart to it. The Italian Straw Hat is Michael Tarkey's second collaboration with James Kudelka and the National Ballet, following the success of their first collaboration, The Contract, several years ago. 
As an orchestral musician, I've been delighted to play a number of great ballets over the years and have marveled at the process by which great music and great dance come together. So when I spoke with composer Michael Torque from New York a few days ago, the question I asked was, how on earth does a ballet come to life? Michael's response was a detailed explanation of the whole process by which the National Ballet Commission came to life. He began by talking about his collaboration with James Kudelka on that first ballet, The Contract. Well, I found Michael's response so illuminating that I've decided to share his extended response with you. Here is composer Michael Torkey. We worked on the, the contract for eight to nine years. Uh, it was a long process having to do with getting the designs right, having to raise the money, having to find the right place. And in all of that, um, um, what I didn't know was that James was nursing another idea that was almost diametrically opposed to the contract. The contract is uh, dark. It's uh, an allegory. It's moralistic. We turn to Italian straw hat. It's light. It's a comedy. It's um, a kind of a, uh, it's a, as James put it, a farce for ballet. It's completely the opposite. And so as we were nearing the completion of the contract, James over dinner said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing this other ballet. It's an Italian straw hat. And uh, I want to use Rossini overtures. And I, was, I said, Rossini overtures, that's an interesting idea. And he said, yeah, I'm looking for a music editor to kind of figure out how to put it all together. And I said, I'll be your music editor. He said, no, you're not going to waste your time doing that. I mean, he said, you've got commissions to write. We can get someone who's musically knowledgeable. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, you know, James, you should think. uh, Berio has this piece called Renderings, where he takes um, a, a Schubert score. I don't know if it was the Unfinished Symphony, but it's an unfinished work. And he kind of, like in the way of Italian runes that you see in Rome, he puts his kind of musical fabric around the basic Schubert. I said, maybe there's something we could do with Rossini. He said, well, that's interesting. And he listened to the uh, Berio. And then on opening night for the contract, um, the performance went very well. The patrons who paid for the ballet were over the moon. They were ecstatic. James was making speeches to the assembled, and when he was done, he turned to me and said, oh, for an Italian straw hat, let's just commission you to write a new piece. So I was thrilled. Um, it went from nothing to music editor to Rossini to a completely original score. And uh, I said, well, you know, maybe it would be interesting to see if there was a way to be influenced by Rossini, not use any of his themes, uh, not use any of his ideas, but to have that kind of buffo or buffa style. Uh, which was something that I was interested in. Um, so that's that's where it began. And he said we, uh, I remember that was 2002, uh, May of 2002, we premiered the contract. And that night is when he offered the commission. And then we were scheduled to open Italian Straw Hat uh, May of 2004. So we basically had two years to write the piece. Music comes first. So the score was supposed to be done uh, by the summer of 2003, and then in September, when the company comes back together, the orchestra usually has some free sessions that they can use for whatever they want, rehearse, or they could try out something new. And then we did this for the contract. We had two three-hour sessions where the orchestra reads through the score, James can listen, and we can figure out where we're at. It's kind of like a workshop for the music. 
And so that's what we did. I then had a year to, to write it, and the way I work with James is um, if I just say, here's the main character, and here's his wife, and here's his lover, anyone will say, eh, I don't know, doesn't work. So what I've found when I work with collaborators um, who are not musicians is I'll come up with 30 ideas, and I'll say, hey, let's just listen to this. Let's talk about these ideas. And you'd be surprised. What I would think is like the death scene becomes the happiest moment. <laughs> I mean, that sounds sort of ridiculous, but uh, there's a, what I call the fallacy of intention with composition, where um, sometimes what we think we're doing is actually the opposite of what we're doing. And so then James and I will work together, and we'll try to figure out where we're at, and then I'll write some more. do is I would send him music and he would say, okay, this is all working, but can you move to this thing because in the hat shop we really need it to climax here because I have something in mind that I want to do. It was that kind of general. Uh, it, the, when we worked on the contract, it was much more specific of where certain musical things would happen, why, and what was going to go on stage. This, he said, just give me a musical fabric and I'll figure it all out on the stage. Uh, James is saying, here's a suggested style, here's the story, here's basically what happens in the first act and what basically happens in the second act. I would fly up to Toronto, I'd play more things, and then he would say, well, this is good, but you know that chunk that you sent me last month, let's listen to it again. You see how that really works and how comedic that is? You've got to do more of that. So he was always pushing me. One of the things that James said to me, besides the Rossini, his concept besides creating a balletic farce, which he thought would be, like, can, can you do a ballet that makes people laugh? Is that even possible? Um, but the way he structured it was that he would have three duets. There would be three couples, and they would be dancing. So he said, you know, Michael, what you did in the contract is you did these small little sections, a theme, and then you would stop, and then another theme, and then a section. He said, what I want you to do is just write through composed long, long sections of music, and, and I'll figure it out how to do it. I want a seamless kind of score. Uh, and so that, that made me think in terms of longer phrases and not in terms of, uh, you know, eight counts for this and... 24 counts for that. I mean, we didn't work that specifically with the contract, but we really whittled it down and made it very tight. And he wanted me to be really loose and free. He urged me to look at the uh, 1920s French film. I was ordered to watch it by James, but he <laughs> cautioned me that there were a lot of things that didn't work, including the score, although I know that some people love the score. Um, but he said, just look at it. So then what happens is I write the whole uh, two acts, whole score, 
and he reads it, uh, the orchestra reads it, and um, everyone's happy, and then he says to me uh, a week later, we're going to postpone the ballet. Uh, we need more time for the set. Santa LaCosta was doing the set. I think that Santa was right on schedule. I think James needed more time to think about what he wanted to do. I remember being sort of disappointed because you've written this work, you want to see it realized, you want all the elements to come together. Now I've got to wait a year, uh, but that's okay, you know, worse things have happened. But then it suddenly gave me an idea about eight months later when I reviewed my work. I thought, well, you know, it's okay, but it could be a lot better. In fact, I could throw the whole score out and start new. <laughs> and I said, James, how would you feel if I rewrote the whole score? <laughs> and he said, well, sure, go for it. So um, I remember it was in the beginning of the summer of 2004, and I canceled all my travel and appointments and sat down and rewrote the whole first act. Um, I mean, I, it wasn't completely new. I just had a, this different point of view, really pumping up the ante, uh, ante, make the ante even bigger, raise the ante of the of the uh, of the work. And I remember I flew up to Toronto at the end of July to play him the first act, and James went, eh. <laughs> First version is better. <laughs> so, so then, of course, I thought, well, you know, talk about fallacy of intention. Um, and what happened then was I worked on the second act, and I took kind of the best of both versions and created what now is the score for Italian Straw Hat. Um, but it gives an idea of how I want to be as flexible as I can, and I want to react to the needs of my collaborators. So then the orchestra read it again, September of 2004, and um, we were all happy then. They developed a line item of the production budget that the whole thing would be taken, the whole orchestra would be taken into the studio that November and recorded it for uh, a CD, which exists, and it would be released on opening night, May of 2005, and that's exactly what happened. And so what was so thrilling about that is that the orchestra wrote, who, they're a beautiful ballet orchestra, by the way, one of the world's best, in my opinion. Um, because they had spent the time learning this stuff and recording it, by the time we went into rehearsals for the opening, they were playing at a level I've never heard them. It was just absolutely thrilling. I thought about it was um, who was it that uh, Rossini was inspired by and the answer is Mozart especially in his buffo style and Rossini took it one step more which is kind of historically interesting because we think of how Beethoven comes after Mozart as a kind of this romantic thunderous reaction but Rossini meanwhile says hey Mozart was really good at opera and opera is the way to make money and get a lot of attention. Why don't I write a bunch of operas and just take that Mozart effect even further? 
And so historically, Rossini comes out of uh, Mozart in a way better than Beethoven does. So I started by studying uh, Mozart uh, scores, operas and symphonies, um, figuring out why it just sounds so kind of manic and wonderful. And uh, in my first version of the ballet, you hear kind of a Mozart influence um, a little bit. And then I just kind of went to town, and there's one 6-8 thing. We call it on the album First Chase. And when you see it in the ballet, I, I don't know how it's billed, but it's the first time that all the characters are running around on the stage. And it, it has a kind of a unmistakable Rossini influence. I can't explain quite. It sounds like one of the overtures, where it just kind of builds and builds and is very manic. And uh, that's my tipping of the hat. When, when I w came around uh, to the second version of my score, what I wanted to do was less of the kind of classical Mozart sound that I had started and more of a kind of a thematic, almost like show music. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it at all, but I was trying to think of like a big romantic theme for one of the pairs of the couples. And then at the end, there's the big pas de deux between the, um, the two, the, the guy who's supposed to marry the, the, the woman, and they finally come together at the end. And that also has a kind of a swelling theme. And so it's not that I introduced a romantic style but there becomes a more romantic element to it and a more thematic element. was the American composer Michael Torquay describing the birth of the Italian straw hat. 
I hope Michael's wonderful story helps pique your interest for this visit by the National Ballet of Canada. James Kudelka's new ballet will be presented in Southam Hall on March 23rd, 24th, and 25th in the National Arts Centre's Canreal Corporation Ballet Series. I hope you'll join us for what promises to be a rollicking evening of great ballet. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. For the National Arts Centre Orchestra, this is bassoonist Christopher Millard. <laughs>